That. Check. Okay. I think we're good. Awesome. So, um, as y'all, some of y'all know, and, and for those of you that are new today, we've been walking our way through uh, the book of Matthew. It's just a, it's a beautiful book, and it's uh, one of the books that the, um, the early church started with, and so it just felt appropriate that we would start there uh, as we begin a new church here in Charlottesville. And so, the last several, several weeks, we've been covering and looking at, in depth, the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably one of Jesus' most uh, seminal teachings. It's, his, it's what I have called his magnum opus uh, of what it means to be a part of the kingdom, what it means to, be, to enter into the kingdom, but also what it means to live a life that reflects the kingdom. And so that's, that's basically what we're focused on now. Jesus is still teaching what it means to live a life that looks, that reflects kingdom principles, kingdom ethics. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 1. We'll read 1 through 6, and then we'll read verse 12. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Some of these verses, if you've ever been in church before, might be a little bit familiar, but let's start by thinking about Charlottesville City Schools, or in the case of Doug, Albemarle County Schools. Um, I don't know if you've encountered this, Doug, but Andrew and Hunter since y'all are at uh, Charlottesville City Schools, what do they do about bullying at your school? Do they do anything? Have you ever talked about bullying at school before? What are some of the things you've heard, Oak? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, we talk about bullying in city schools. Doesn't matter, wherever. Oh. Um, there's a lot of talking about bullying. Is there? Yeah. Okay, do you think, why do you think that is? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Abigail, did you have another thing to say? Um, they want, they, there's a lot of talk about bullying because some, a bunch, sometimes a bunch of people do bully and like they, um, the, the principals are trying to like, talk away to like get those people to stop bullying. Mm-hmm. That's right. In a diary of one kid book I read, um, they were putting up um, signs of um, not bullying. Yeah, okay. So that was in the, that was in the diary for Wimpy Kid. Uh, and in that book, apparently they put up signs of not bullying. It's a big deal in our schools. It's a big deal uh, for us everywhere. Uh, bullying is, is a problem. I mean, I think we can all sort of recognize that and admit that. But where did it start? It's, it's very simple where it started. I, I'm, uh, we, all we have to do is go back to Genesis. 
And in Genesis chapter 3, we find the fall of mankind. And then, does anybody know what happens immediately after that in chapter 4 of Genesis? There's a story. And it's of these two, these two brothers. <laughs> and these, oh, you know, you know, yes, Oak. Great job. Um, one of them killed the other. That's right. That's right. Cain killed his brother Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis. And the point being, what we see from Scripture that early on, is that conflict, this idea of bullying, this idea of hurting another person, was the, was the beginning story of humankind. And we still see it today. We find it, I was standing in the parking lot of a coffee shop that I frequent here in Charlottesville, and I w- saw a friend. And that friend of mine uh, began to talk. And he shared with me what it's been like at this business in town called Willow Tree. Have you guys heard of Willow Tree? They make apps. Well, this, this past weekend, there was a girl who worked there who was murdered uh, by her husband. And then he also killed himself. And so that that whole company has been in a bit of turmoil uh, because of how difficult this is. And I don't know if you all knew this, but Melanie Seiber, uh, she also works at Willow Tree and knew this girl pretty well. Um, She had worked with her already. Um, And then I was talking to my friend, and and, and my friend who works there at Willow Tree, he was like, goodness, it seems he's been here for about maybe close to 20 years. And he said, it's weird. He said, it seems like there's some darkness here in Charlottesville. He's like, this, this male-on-female violence is, is so common here, he said. It feels like. He said, there's been, there's been abduction. There's been rape. There's been murder. I don't know how long y'all have been around, but uh, there have been some stories of difficult things here, right? Uh, there have been some hard things that have, that have happened even here in Charlottesville. Now, I'm not here to just depress us this morning. And so let me, let me share, I want to share one encouraging email along these same lines that happened uh, in Little Rock this past weekend at the conference that I was speaking at. I got this email, it said, Nathan, I just wanted to thank you for the word and messages you brought to us this past weekend at the missions conference. Thank you for being real, for talking about the hard things, and for reminding me that it's okay sometimes to just pray, Father, my life, help Saturday night, you told a story about being at a conference and feeling this weight, a burden for hours, and it finally being lifted. And you knew something had changed because Jesus had worked in your life. I went home after the conference that night and just wept. I had a very, very heavy weight, an anger for a long time. And for the first time in a year and a half, that anger started to crumble. I haven't prayed or cried out like that in a long time, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for using you. I had a traumatic event, PTSD, not ready to tell people. I got her permission to share that uh, this morning, and I said I wouldn't use any names. But it was encouraging. It was encouraging that even though there is so much incredible conflict, there's so much hurt that takes place in this world, um, there's also hope. And so we want to focus on that this morning. We want to focus on what Jesus said to us. He said, what I want to do is I want to flip that on its head. Really, in much of his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, it was like, I want to cause a ruckus. Because he's like, I know the world is like that. 
I know there's an incredible amount of hate. I know there's an incredible amount of pain. But I have this, I have some ethics, I have some principles, I have this gospel truth that I want to share with the world myself and that I want to teach you so that you can share the world. So that's this morning. Let's, let's look at what Jesus is teaching us about what we can share with the world about love. And he starts with, this morning, uh, teaching our hearts about judgment. He starts with judging. Now, this is really comfortable and fun for us modern, postmodern folks, right? Do not judge. <laughs> yeah, like I can get into that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like our culture is feeling it, right? Tolerance. Do not judge. This is a sign. I'm, I'm going to use a couple slides this morning. Doug, you've inspired me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a sign just down the street from our, our house. Uh, you can see it if you go around the corner. This is a welcoming household. We love our neighbors who are immigrants, LGBTQ, people of color, living with disability, Muslim, women, survivors of sexual assault. We love and respect all of our neighbors. We are glad you are, are here and grateful you are part of our community. Good stuff. Right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of non-judgmental attitude going on here. I mean, I think ultimately, Jesus would be like, okay, yeah, don't judge. But let's take it a step further this morning with Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus is not just saying don't judge. He gives reasons. And I think it's easy for us, especially if we live... Uh, this is easy for me. If I live in Charlottesville, if I, it doesn't matter. If we live in modern America, it's easy for us to be, think of judgment like this. And I, I, think, I think many people are in this category. I will not judge anybody else for their life because I want to live the way I want to live any, in, in, in any sense. That is often the case. But Jesus will not let us stay there. He won't. In his teaching on the kingdom uh, and his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, he does not let us stay in that position where we would say, I do not judge. Therefore, I can never be judged. That's not what he's getting at. And so I think, again, I can't speak for the person who has this in their yard. Lovely sign. Um, But often our society ends right here. It's like a finish at the starting line. And for Jesus, this is just the starting line. Because he goes on, he says, he says, do not judge, for with the judgment that you used, you will be judged. He's saying the fact that the reality is that we have to, we have to deal with our own junk. <laughs> and he, he talks about this by using an analogy. And so I thought I'd use one more picture for us this morning. Does anybody know what that is? A sawmill. Jesus says, look, (laughs) if you want to understand the reality of not being judgmental, you've got to go here first. What do I mean? Well, what does he say say is jammed and stuck in our eye? (laughs) A log. God God says we have these really big logs jammed in our eye, and we can't see clearly to judge anybody. (laughs) he's like you have got to deal with your own junk first before you're going to have any hope of being in a position to be discerning about others to be discerning about others so let's dig in for just a minute this morning what is judgment what does it mean to judge someone 
Well, I think one of the, the most helpful things for us to start with is to think about our own insecurity. That's where judgment starts. It starts with the fact that we feel really insecure. We do. We're not sure if we're okay. We're not sure what people are going to think of us. And so it's really fun and really easy for us to judge others so that what? We can feel better than them. And if I feel better than another person, if I've, if I've judged someone, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what the topic is, it doesn't matter if it's for their looks, if it's for their behavior, or what I think might be the motive in their heart, I put myself in a position to be like, I'm better than you. And Jesus uses the word, again, that we just saw a few weeks ago, he uses the word hypocrite. Do you remember what a hypocrite is? What that original Greek word means? Actor. Pretender. Someone who it really knows down deep that I'm not really, I'm kind of a mess. They're, like things are not all good in here. But at least I can say I'm better than that family over there or that person over there or that, those people that live down the street over there. And so I can at least feel kind of good about myself. Even though I'm, I'm, I'm pretty insecure, I can feel good about myself for a little while. And what they're doing, this is what the hypocrites did. The hypocrites that Jesus talks about, the Pharisees that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, what they were doing was they were trying to get their sense of justification. They were trying to get their sense of rightness, their sense of I'm okay from other people. And that's never, Jesus is very clear in, in his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, that is never the place to find your sense of righteousness, your sense of peace, your sense of okayness. It's a deadly trap, in fact. And Jesus says, to the Pharisees earlier on when he says, don't stand up to pray so that everybody can see you. And he says, don't fast and put, you know, make yourself look all disheveled. So that he said, your reward is already going to be given to you by people going, oh, yay. Isn't that amazing that you're so religious? Isn't that so cool? He's like, that's your reward. That's it. And he's, but we know that's not enough. That's not enough. And I want to talk about this judgment game. This judgment game, because we I want to help us understand it a little bit, because we all do it. There's this, there's this author named Eric Byrne. Have you ever heard of Eric Byrne? He wrote a book in the 60s. It's a psychology psychiatry book, and it's called Games People Play. You heard of this? Um, it, it, it was uh, pretty, pretty pivotal at the time, and it was a big deal. But one of the games that he talks about, that, that deals with this insecurity that all of us feel, that all of us have, is this game called blemish. I think it helps us understand judgment. Here's how he describes it. This game is the source of a large percentage of petty dissension in everyday life. It is played from the depressive child position, I am no good, which is protectively transformed into the parental position, they are no good. The player's transactional problem is then to prove the latter thesis. They are no good. In other words, judgment. In its hardest form, it may become a totalitarian political game played by authoritarian personalities, and then it may have serious historical repercussions. We won't get into that. Here, its close relationship with nowadays is evident. In suburban society, positive reassurance is obtained from playing How Am I Doing? While Blemish provides negative reassurance. Let's, let's look at some examples. The premise may range from the most trivial and extraneous to that person's wearing last year's hat to the most cynical, he hadn't got 7,000 in the bank, to sinister, not 100% Aryan, esoteric, hasn't read Rilke, intimate, can't do this or that, 
or sophisticated, what's that person trying to prove? Transactionally, there is prying, morbid curiosity or watchfulness, sometimes with parental or adult concern, charitably masking the child's relish. I don't expect you to know all those terminologies. But here's the point. This person feels justified in turning away an unfashionable woman, a man without financial backing, a non-Aryan, an illiterate, an impotent man, or an insecure personality. At the same time, prying offers some internal social action with biological gain. It's kind of that notion of, ain't it awful for that person? I know that was a lot to take in. But the point is, these games are played every day by other people and by us. And this is right where the gospel has to be at the center of our lives and of love. And this is what Jesus is teaching. It's a call from Jesus. See, You see, the game of blemish is a game where the Savior is either myself or another person. And this is what Jesus is pushing against when He says love. He says don't judge. He says love. He's pushing against this, this desire that we all have for either ourselves to be our Savior or for someone else, some close person near us to be our Savior. To tell us, you're okay. You're, you're going to be fine. You, you're righteous. We can only, but, but Jesus is saying you could only find that in me. You could only find it in me. Do not look for it in false saviors. Here's the key gospel truth for this first point about judgment. The key gospel truth is this. We are called by Jesus to repent not only of the bad things that we do, but also of the good things. And what I mean by that is the good things that we try to do to be our own saviors and get other people to be our saviors. We have to repent of it all. Not just the bad things that we do. This is the end, the end goal of all those games in the Eric Byrne book are so that we can be our own savior or that some person in our life can be our savior. Um, but they can never do it. They can never release us from the sin, the guilt, and the hurt and the underlying sense that we're not okay. But we have a real Savior. Be encouraged today. Don't end with the fact that you have to find your salvation in yourself. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, do not judge. Because when you judge, that's what you're doing. When you judge, you're trying to save yourself. He's like, stop it. And this is love in the church. Y'all, do you understand how radical it would be if, if people lived this out? If we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lived this out? Really? Like if really, if, if we were literally on a regular basis, daily, weekly, whatever it might be, sending our, our logs into the sawmill, repentance and belief, repentance and belief, this idea that I cannot save myself, I can't be good enough, I can't get the person in my life to say enough good things about me so that I feel okay. It's not going to happen. I've got to continually send my logs, my junk, my sin into the sawmill and let Jesus do His work. Because He promises He will. He will do it. And He will make us new. And this is how you build a community that actually loves. This is how you actually combat judgment. Because again, Jesus is not saying, never be discerning or never make a judgment. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't put yourself in a position to feel right because you've looked down on another. So second point, 
So that's love here. Jesus says, love here. Love with the, your community, with your people, with your church. Love in that way. And then there's, a, there's love there. Love out there. And this passage is a toughie. This is a toughie. Have you all read this before? I'll read it again just so we can be reminded. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Does anybody know what that means? I mean, seriously, it took me forever to try to figure it out. I mean, I read like, there's all this scholarship on this passage and many of them differ. Have y'all heard something about these before? And what, what just to cur- I'm just curious. You can, you can talk, it's fine. You heard like, what, what is Jesus saying? Yeah, it's a toughie. Pigs it's a toughie. were like down, looked down upon, okay. mm-hmm. I guess, in his time is what I've heard. And, yeah. Um, pearls are the thing, things that are most treasured to us. Yes. And so <laughs> don't put the things that we care the most about in front of people or thing, people who won't, uh, treat, won't, won't appreciate them. Okay, that's part of it, yeah. yeah. I think that's part of it. That's a lot of the scholarship on it. It, it focuses on the idea. It's confusing, first of all. Let's just go, let's call a spade a spade. It's confusing. Jesus just said, don't judge. And then he's like, let's call some people pigs and dogs. Does that strike you as odd? I mean, what, what in the world is he getting at? Why would, we, why would we ever be told not to judge and then, and then be allowed to think of another human being as a pig or a dog? I think what he's getting at, he's, oh, go ahead. You got a question? Take it out of the sense of people, could it also be things that you're throwing your like your life into that are just going to like it could be sinful nature. Like hypothetically, the swan like that. Yeah. could be or the dog That's could neat. be something that is life sucking. Like it could be. I'm just, huh. I'm just a. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's a good thought for sure. I mean, most of this that that most of the scholarship considers it to be people. Generally, I mean, most of the stuff. But the idea is, is to, to wrap our heads around it briefly this morning. I'll just throw out a couple of thoughts to chew on. And it will take some chewing. But I think part of what Jesus is getting at is this idea that there are multiple levels of spirituality. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean someone is better I mean, I mean, the Bible is so clear about this. It doesn't mean someone is better because they have been spiritually enlightened by the Holy Spirit, because they have been shown their sin and have been and have, the beauty of the beauty of Christ has been presented to them. Right? The Bible is very clear. That is all of grace. You do not your merits do not play a part in God working in your life, God opening your eyes, God being a part of your salvation. Okay, Scripture is clear. Over, I don't have time to get into all of it this morning. But the point, the, the point Jesus is trying to make is like, look, be patient. Be patient. Right? In the same way that if a, a pig, you own a pig, or you have a dog that's, that's near your table, it might even be an animal that you love. But don't just, don't just start tossing, to both of y'all's point, don't just start tossing the beauty of Christ in front of them. Because it will be utterly confusing. Because it's not, someone who has not had the Holy Spirit work in their lives does not see the beauty of Christ. And this may be us. We have to take a look at our own hearts. This actually could be us. And here's what I mean. 
if you, if a lot of people think Jesus is okay. You'll, you'll get that. If you just, if you go and you talk about Jesus out in the wider world, out in your neighborhood or whatever it might be, many people say, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's a good teacher, right? I mean, he's kind of like, has some good principles that, like we're studying today that might be useful for my life or your life. But if that's where it ends, the judgment of God that says things like, you're a sinner, you need salvation and grace, becomes utterly unintelligible. In fact, it becomes offensive. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, when he says there will be, be a lashback uh, against you. And here's what I mean. How, if, if Jesus is just a teacher, if Jesus is just a functional um, sort of tool in your life of like, I want to get a certain thing or I want to get to a certain place, Jesus provides this function for me. He's like this, um, he, he's, he's just a tool. Then, then at, that, at that same time, it's going to be very difficult to view him as beautiful in and of himself, as the savior of your life. So the reality is, we have to be patient. If there's someone in your life that you are bringing uh, truth to, bringing the gospel to, bringing, bringing Jesus to, and hopefully you are. Hopefully we all have people in our life where we're absolutely moving into their, their lives with love Jesus is calling for a type of patience here. He's saying you can't just throw the beauty of Christ out immediately. You can't just shove it in somebody's face. You've got to walk. You've got to pray. You've got to watch as I move in their hearts. It's a little bit like the prodigal son. If you remember the prodigal son, there wasn't somebody yelling at him outside the pig pen. Right? There wasn't somebody saying, Ah, you're such a, you're such a loser. Look at what you're doing with your life. You're ruining it. Arr. He literally had his eyes opened by God, by the Holy Spirit. And he just woke up one day and was like, hold up. This is nasty down in here. So the question is, are you in a position in people's lives who don't yet see the beauty of Jesus to guide them when God begins to open their eyes? When you're praying for God to open their eyes. Here's how 1 Peter chapter 3 puts it. This was really helpful for me. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, verse 13 through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. All is the keep 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 verse. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be throwing them pearls out. With gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Have patience. And finally, finally, one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, what has come to be known as the golden rule. I mean, I think a lot of people know this, even if you've never darkened the door of a church. You know what the golden rule is, and it's what? Do unto others as you would have them. And this sums up the entire law and the prophets. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to wrap this thing up. He is literally wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. And he's like, y'all, it's all about love. (laughs) You're not going to get away from it. It's all about love. 
It really is. The summary of the entire law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, is love. And what kind of love? This is what's neat to look at. It's an incredibly initiative love. It's a love that does things and goes places. So let's, let's be reminded of that. And, and what do I mean? A love that does things. Some people wonder when they have been spending all of their time watching movies, playing on their devices, playing video games, why they feel lonely and sad. I've, I've, I've worked with a lot of students that feel lonely and sad. They've made zero effort <laughs> to do something for another human being. None. I work with college students, even now, even in, in UVA, that are lonely and sad, hiding out in their dorm rooms, um, don't have friends. And I'm like, the love from Christ is always an initiating love. You go to people. And you, it doesn't, you don't even have to start with loving actions. You just go to people and you just talk to them. Talk to them. Ask them how they're doing. What's new in their life? Ask them what their hobbies are. What have you been up to? Listen. Do. Get to know them. And then, after you actually know a person, you can actually, at that point, you begin, you begin to do loving actions. You begin to actually take some initiative and say, you know what? I know so-and-so person. They really like gifts. And they really like gifts from Walmart. You know what? I think I'm going to buy a gift from Walmart and just bless their life. Just, just take some initiative. Just do some loving acts. And his point is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It always starts with our initiative. It always starts with our initiative. And let's also be reminded the whole point of all this love. The whole point of all this love is Jesus saying, reflect the gospel. As the gospel works in your life, reflect it. How much patience has God had with you? A lot. <laughs> how, how many times has he sent you into the sawmill? <laughs> I go there pretty much daily. Um, he is the ultimate, God is the, the ultimate example of patience. And the Bible talks about that. He's the ultimate example of grace. That there's, there's a well of grace that simply does not run dry. We are simply to reflect that grace that has been given into our life. Secondly, what is the most powerful story of love taking the initiative? Not only Jesus dying, Jesus being incarnate. God simply coming to this earth, this dirty, nasty earth, where there are sinful people everywhere, the Holy One of the universe becomes incarnate. This is astounding. It is, it is initiative like we will never know. But we get a chance, even in small ways, we get a chance to reflect it on this earth as we go to those places that we think are nasty and dirty. And we get to take initiating love with people that we think even might not deserve it. Because how much did we deserve the love of Christ, the love of God, the grace given to us through His death and resurrection? Zero. Jesus is saying, love like crazy. Love here, love there, love everywhere because it, it reflects who I am. And, and, and our power and our motivation 
comes only from the fact that we have experienced that initiating love in our own lives. Keep on going to the sawmill. And so we're going to take just a moment here as we conclude our service. We're going to take a moment to be reminded of God's initiating love through the meal that He graciously gave to us. Let's pray. Lord God, oh, Your love is astounding. Your love is heartbreaking. Your love is life-changing. Your love is real. Your love is here. Lord, we pray that your, that your fatherly care, your, your grace-filled love would, would move powerfully into our lives this week. Move powerfully into the lives of our friends, our family, Lord, our neighbors. And Lord, may, be, may we be ready as your love bolts into people's lives. Help us to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. The hope that is only from your gospel, from your grace, from the goodness of Jesus. We thank you so much this morning for your initiating love. Lord, we would be without hope. We would be looking for justification. We'd be looking for rightness from other people. Lord, this world looks for that and they are so hurting because it cannot be found there. Lord, lead us to your throne this morning as we feast on Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Our bread is, I, don't, I knew y'all mentioned y'all had some food allergies. It's not gluten-free. I apologize. The bread for, okay. Okay, just checking. Didn't know. Um, we are, at some point that we, we do want to have that. Let's read the words of institution from Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's be reminded this morning of the radical love of Jesus, given to us through his initiating love, through his coming, through his living a perfect life, a righteousness that is given to us through repentance and faith and also through his death and his resurrection.